Hello, everyone. We're so glad to have you joining us this morning. What a blessing uh, that we have this service that we can worship together uh, far and near. So we're so glad you're tracking with us. Our prayer, as always, is that our service this morning has been a chance to worship together, a chance to grow together, and that it really is a help and a blessing for you. We're continuing our sermon series about following the commands of Christ. We've been looking at these commands from the basis, uh, pretty Christian, fundamental basis, that, that Jesus is Lord. That means he is the one we submit to. He's the one we look to for direction. He's the one who leads us. Jesus' life provides for us an example of how to live and how to love like he lived and loved, how to live to please God. We look at Jesus as our primary source. He's the one from whom we come from. He's the one we also go to, to to obtain more information. So these commands are about knowing what Jesus asks us to do, and then because he is Lord, we're actually going to do them. In the past few weeks, we've looked at um, several commands. We've talked about repent. We've talked about follow me. We've talked about the the, the call to be salt and light, to love your neighbor, uh, the great commission to go and make disciples, uh, to teach what we've been taught, to be graceful, to, to love our enemies is the one we're going to focus on this morning. So loving your enemies, which is maybe, maybe, one of the hardest things that Jesus asked us to do. Now, we've also been talking about how Jesus teaches. We've been looking at some parables, but we've also been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things you'll see is that, you know, we've said this a couple weeks now, when Jesus teaches, you know, what makes him a great teacher isn't just the content, right? It's how he's able to start with where we are, what we understand, and to take us then to where he desires us to be. It's Jesus' ability to build on what's new, to uh, build on what's known, to to teach us something new. But I think what we'll find this morning is another facet of Jesus' teaching that I think is incredible. Jesus is um, consistently in the Gospels preaching about the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come. But he also knows, and we as believers also know that, that the kingdom is not yet. We're in the here and now, but the kingdom is not yet. Yet Jesus, you know, when he preaches about the kingdom being near, is he really desires on earth as it is in heaven. He really desires us to, to work for the kingdom now. So what Jesus is able to do then is when he teaches, he teaches not just promises of his kingdom, but he teaches the values of his kingdom that we can have in the present. I want you to hold on to that as we dive into our text this morning. I'll be reading from Matthew 5, and it'll be verses 43 to 48. But before we get there, I just want to open us in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for the gift of community and each other. Lord, we pray this morning that we may truly uh, commit our lives to you, that we may truly learn and, and, and give ourselves to you, that we may live as Jesus lived, that we may love as Jesus loved. God, we thank you for this call, this command to love our enemies, because in so doing, we can be like you, our Father in heaven. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for this community that we're in, but thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. So if you do have your Bibles, we'll be picking up in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. Jesus begins here, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus begins... By, by starting with what people knew. And what they would have known was the Mosaic Law, which we've highlighted for the last couple of weeks, right? The Mosaic Law was clear. We find it in our scriptures in, you know, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It was clear that retaliation was the way to go. They called it the Law of Retaliation because for them, payback was okay. Justice equals revenge. You know, we highlighted a few verses last week, but it's the same thing here, right? Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. Anyone who injures your neighbor should be injured in the same manner. If there's serious injury, you are to what? Take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The Mosaic law was perfectly clear. And everyone in Jesus' audience would have known that and they would have understood that. So when Jesus says, you have heard and said, love your neighbor, they would have been like, yeah, we will try our best, but we know what the Mosaic law says. Because they weren't just steeped in the Mosaic law, they were also steeped in the ancient Near Eastern worldview. And I think that's something we have to realize, right? How we understand God's word is wonderful, but it's why we need the spirit and why we need the community around us, because we too are shaped by our worldview. Because I can read a verse as a child of Africa a little bit different than I can read that same verse as a child of South America. Our worldview matters. And here's why I'll, I'll put it this way. So the ancient Near Eastern law was retaliation, retribution, uh, uh, vengeance, if you will. But that wasn't just something that, that Moses or God gave to Moses. Because in that culture back then, the ancient Near East, this is how they understood stuff. So if you look up at the Sumerians, you know, they have the Code of Ornamu, which we think is the oldest known surviving law code. And this is what it says. See if it sounds familiar to what we read in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. If a man commits a murder, that man must be killed. If a man commits a robbery, he will be killed. If a man commits a kidnapping, he has to be imprisoned and pay 15 shekels of silver. And, and the other ways that you would have to pay the shekels of silver are these things. If you knock out the eye of another person, if you cut off someone's foot, if you smash their limb with a club, or if you severed their nose with a bronze knife, you pay something. Payment for what was done wrong, making things right. That was the core of their law. Another culture from the ancient Near East is the Babylonians, and they actually give us the, the Code of Hammurabi, which we think is one of the oldest, again, not just laws, but, but um, deciphered pieces of writing that's not just like an inscription, but a whole piece of writing. And that one says this. This is just one of their verses, if you will. If a man destroy the eye of another man, they shall destroy his eye. If one man breaks a man's bone, they shall break his bone. If one destroy the eye of a free man or break the bone of a free man, he shall pay gold mina. If one destroys the eye of a man's slave or break a bone of a man's slave, he shall pay one half the price. Again, the ancient Near Eastern worldview was vengeance, was retaliation, was retribution. That's what the people understood. But I think what's amazing is not that the, the Mosaic law has similarities with Asian Near Eastern law. I think what's amazing is that even with, you know, what people believe are 613 of these Mosaic laws, you still have God's love and God's grace shining through. And that's what actually sets it apart. Because you'll still have grace that's commanded from God's people. You see God's love for the weak, God's love for the marginalized, God's love for, for the widow 
widows and the orphan, and you just see grace coming up over and over and over again. In Exodus, you'll read, do not take advantage of the widow or the orphan. In Leviticus, you'll read, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for who? For the poor and for the alien, the stranger, the immigrant. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. And in Deuteronomy, you'll read, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. Why? So that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and again, the aliens, the strangers, the immigrants, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. God doesn't just ask us to grace. God commands us to grace. So even in this worldview of ancient Near Eastern law of retaliation, God's grace shows up. And to me, that's a comfort. Because sometimes we struggle with this world being so hard. And I think these laws are very, very, very hard. But God's grace always shows up. The other place that God's grace shows up is you see it in these verses, but specifically in Leviticus 19 is that God commands his people to love the neighbor, to love the stranger. God starts off with your neighbor could be the person who's next to you, the person who's close or lives close by, or it can be every other person. And God, again, is commanding them to love your neighbor. So when Jesus starts off in this passage in, in, in Matthew 5, when he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, people would have been like, I know the law of retaliation, but my commitment to God and God's grace calls me to love the other. So Jesus moves from Mosaic law to what I would call natural law. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You don't need a PhD to understand hating your enemy. If someone hates you, you can understand getting to a point where you'll hate them back. If someone hurts you, you can understand getting to the point where you want to hurt them back. It's very, very natural that people who don't treat us right, that we want retaliation. The law of retaliation didn't just stop in the ancient Near East. It continues in us to this day. It's the natural law. We want to just not make, not only make things right, but we want you to pay. And that's what Jesus goes to. Because the people like us today would have understood that natural law. You punch me, I punch you back. I can understand that. You hit me, I hit you back. I can understand that. And there's some of us who will even dress it up as like, well, I'm only treating you how I was treated, right? To justify our retaliation. So people would have understood that. They would have agreed with it to hate your enemy. And this would have been something that's generational. And the fact and the proof that we know that's true is because we still think the same way today. You hurt me. I want to hurt you back. You, you harm me or, or what I care about. I want to harm you back. When I get a chance to, I will retaliate. That's how we act. But I think what's fascinating about this passage, and probably the most fascinating thing about this passage, is that Jesus, again, he knows the people know the Mosaic law, retaliation. He knows the people know and live and feel natural law. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. But Jesus is steeped in the kingdom. Jesus knows the kingdom is at hand, and it's also not here. So what Jesus pronounces for his followers are, I want you to take these values of my kingdom and put them into practice today. That's just one of the ways you can make on earth, as it is in heaven, a reality. So he moves us from Mosaic law and natural law to his kingdom law. Love your enemy, Mosaic law. 
Love your neighbor, sorry. Love your neighbor, Mosaic law. Hate your enemy, natural law. But I tell you. And we got to pause there. Because Jesus, again, is saying, I know you know the Mosaic law. I know you understand the natural law, but I tell you. Why does that matter? That matters because Jesus is Lord. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one we follow. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one we bow down to. Remember what we learned from Peter a couple weeks ago. Because you say so, I will do. To say I follow Jesus when he says, but I tell you, we straighten up, we listen up, and then we hear it and go and do it. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies. All of them. All of them. He doesn't say, love some of your enemies. He doesn't say, love your enemies who come and apologize and and want to be reconciled with you. He doesn't say, love your enemies when you feel like it. He doesn't even say, love your enemies when you get to a point where you can love them. All he says is, love your enemies. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the the parable of the, the Samaritan who loved like Jesus loved. The point that Jesus makes there is go and do likewise. Because even those you think of as enemies, they belong to me. And I think that's a reminder to us because all the people we might think of and write down as enemies this morning, they also are children of God, made in God's image. So those Samaritans that were hated, they belong to me. But Jesus also says, love your enemies because there's anyone that you would justify or anyone that you would understand or anyone who's earned the right to be your enemy, anyone that you hold as enemy, the command is still to love, to love your enemies. And then he moves us from loving them to praying for them, praying for those who persecute you. And I think this is fascinating because his entire audience at that time, would have been in the Roman Empire. And who were the Romans primarily to his audience? They were the oppressors. They were the people who came and slaughtered them. They were the people who came and and took their land. They were the people who came and took over every aspect of their life. Who were the Romans? They were agitators. They knew they had the power, and they wielded that power to the detriment of those people. Who were the Romans? They were occupiers who could compel you to carry their gear, who could compel you to pay taxes, who could compel you to basically do what they wanted. Yet Jesus says, these enemies that you know, that you see that can hear the sound of my voice. I want you to love them, but I also want you to pray for them because Jesus knows something about prayer. I believe that it's harder to hate people that I consistently pray for. I think Jesus knows that because if you just look at them as enemies and not as people who also belong to God, if you just look at them as people you hate and not as people God loves, then they'll stay in that realm forever. But if you love them and if you pray for them, you can perhaps move from enemies to neighbors, from neighbors to kin. And Jesus doesn't give justification of why we need to love our enemies. He doesn't even give justification of why you need to pray for them. He just says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And then he says, do this and you will be children of God our Father. I love that. No justification, just the results. 
children look like their parents. And it's not just in physical appearance, but it's also in character. It's in values. It's in worldview. And Jesus knows that not only does praying for our enemies help us see their humanity, not only does praying for our enemies invite God into the situation to work and intercede on our behalf and bring reconciliation, but praying for our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, loving them helps us to look like God our Father. Because God loved us even when we were enemies. God loved us even when we were far and rebelled and turned away from him. God loved us by sending his son, Jesus Christ. God loved us even when we fall short. God loves us. So he calls us to love. And I think we need to remember that how we treat enemies matters to God. How we love or don't love the people around us matters to God. I want to pause here because I think when we talk about love, it's important for us to realize that it's not just love as we see fit. It's loving as God loves. Jesus tells the audience, God's son rises on the evil and the good. God's reign comes to the righteous and the unrighteous. It's a reminder to us that our job is not to go around making enemies or, or calling all the people who fall short and, and pushing them out and how different they are from us. But our job is to remember that the sun rises on the evil and the good. No matter what's going on, God is in control. And is there a better word for 2020 than God is in control? But also, if the rain comes to the righteous and the unrighteous, it's this reminder to us that God so loved, so must we. We are to love as God loves. And in this passage, you see Jesus is unimpressed if we love those who love us. Read, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only those, only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. If you only care about me and mine, Jesus is unimpressed. If you only love those who love you back, Jesus is unimpressed. Jesus doesn't even think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's like a great positive. You love those who love you, awesome. Unimpressive to Jesus. And I think it's interesting because the two most hated groups outside of the Romans, who he's already identified as the enemies you're to love and to pray for, would probably be tax collectors who people saw as traitors, who people saw as co-conspirators, who people saw as worse than the Romans because they're making money and taking advantage of we, the people who are oppressed. What a word to us, right? They're taking advantage of people who are oppressed. Or the pagans, the people who didn't believe, the people who didn't follow God. And on our, our hierarchy of enemies, or our hierarchy of the otherness of people, we would put tax collectors and pagans. And Jesus says, even those people you think are enemies that you hate, they love those who love them. What reward will you get? As followers of Jesus, it is not just the call to love those who love us. It's the call to love everyone. And that call to love everyone means we must love not as we see fit, but as Jesus loves. That is the sacrificial love. That is the love that actually works for the good of the other person. That is the love that seeks their best. Love as Jesus loved. 
So when you look at the entire passage, it's summed up by this verse that's kind of tripped us up for generations. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus starts with the Mosaic law of retaliation. He moves us to the natural law of, you know, retaliation. You hit me, I'll hit you back. He goes to the kingdom value of loving your enemies, but he ends with kingdom love. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think it's a good reminder for us to pause here and realize that Jesus is not counting on you for an unblemished purity. Jesus is not counting on you for your goodness. Jesus is not asking you to be perfect as he is perfect. I think the English betrays us yet again here. Jesus is not talking about your goodness. Jesus is not talking about about you never making an error. You know, the Greek actually talks about being complete, being mature. It's a growth thing here. It's a growth idea. But I think Jesus is not all, he's not simply talking about, I want you to grow in perfection. I want you to grow becoming like God. I don't think that's the end of it all. I think if you look at the entire passage from 43 to 48, you'll see that this is an invitation to love. Be perfect in love as your father is perfect in love. That is the command Jesus is making here. And that's the lifetime work for all of us. Are we loving the way God loves? Those we count as enemies, are we loving them the way God loves them? Those we don't like, are we praying for them and giving them to God, not out of spite, but because we know God wants the best for them and we know that's what we are to want too. The kingdom love has to love like God loves. You know, a few weeks ago in the series, we talked about that lawyer who says, well, well, who is my neighbor? You know, like, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbors, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, the one who loves like me, go and do likewise. And this morning, you may be wondering, well, who is my enemy? And I think this is an important question for all of us because we don't like to think of ourselves as people who have enemies. But look around our world. Look around what we are letting into our brains, what we're consuming, what we're reading, what we're saying, what we're doing. We have enemies. There are those we think we hate. And for some of us, it might be an emotional hate or it might be, you know, like, I just don't like them. But biblical hate more often talks about those we don't think highly of rather than the emotional feeling. So who are the people that you don't think highly of? they would count as enemies here. But it's also those who maybe have earned our hate, those who have hurt us, those who are hurting others. You know, David kind of maybe codifies this for believers, right? Because David says, you know, I hate those people with evil intent. I hate the wicked. I hate those who rebel against God. And so for some of us, it's it's not just people who've hurt us, but if we see leaders, for example, who are leading people astray, if we see leaders, for example, who are oppressing people, if we see leaders who are lying to people, if we see leaders who who aren't living or or, or, are actually looking like Jesus, yet leading drones of people behind them, We sometimes feel the need to hate those leaders, to hate those people. We think that because these people have earned our hate by what they've done or haven't done, it's okay. But Jesus calls us to love. And it's to love as God loves. So it doesn't matter, I would say, who your enemy is. But it does matter how you're loving that enemy. 
It doesn't matter if you can make a long list or a short list. If there's anyone that you look down upon because of their beliefs, because of their politics, because of their race, because of their education, because of their socioeconomic status, because of their citizenship. If there's any reason you can justify to look down upon people, you look more like the devil than you look like our Father in heaven. Jesus calls us to love. Jesus calls us to pray. And when we make and think of this list of enemies and we start to ask God to help us love them, I think that commitment to prayer helps us because it helps us to never lose sight of people's humanity, but also never lose sight of God's love. You know, today in the season, we live in the here and now, but we also live in the not yet. The kingdom of God is at hand, but the kingdom of God is also coming. And because we live in the now and the not yet, and because the kingdom of God is here and also coming, we often find ourselves caught between two worlds. And this isn't new. I love when people say 2020 is so different, but this isn't new. It's been this way in Christianity forever, ever since Jesus went to heaven. You know, historically, the church has identified, you know, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. And that's how they reconcile. It's like, well, these are the things of, of God's people, you know. And, and the kingdom of God becomes this um, ethereal or, or this intangible reality. It's just out there somewhere. But I live in the present. I live in the kingdom of man. And we realize or need to realize that not just in election season, but every single day of our lives on this side of heaven, these two kingdoms, our understanding of what it means to be the kingdom of God or what it means to be a citizen here on earth, they're fighting for allegiance. And, and historically, the church has identified the kingdom of man as the church, as the government, or even as family. Is that our ultimate authority? And I think it's interesting with the church because the church has been a tool of oppression. So I think that's fascinating too. But then there's also some, some who've identified this tension as, as between Christians and non-Christians, like this Christian worldview versus non-Christian worldview. Or there's some people who, who will make this language and we say church versus state. And we pull the tension that's pulling us back and forth and back and forth. But it's in this conversation of what kingdom do I live for or live in that makes me one of the reasons I'm so proud to be brethren in Christ. I'm so proud to be Anabaptist. Because the Anabaptists have broken it down like this. It's the kingdom of God versus the empire of man. Am I living for God's kingdom or am I living for earthly kingdom? Am I saying Jesus is Lord or am I saying this empire matters more? Am I saying my focus is on the kingdom of God or am I saying my focus is on what is in front of me only in this world? Because all of us are called to live for God's kingdom first. Now, some in our tradition have interpreted this as to be separate, you know? So there's some people in the Anabaptist tradition that just saw the world is so evil, so they want to run and, no, oh, I was going to say hide, but that's not fair. But they want to run from the world to stop the world from polluting them, right? And it's not just the Amish. It's some of our families today who do the same thing. We run from the world because we don't want the world to pollute us. But I think that Jesus calls us the light of the world. I think that Jesus calls us to shine our light. I think that anything the world can pollute us is not as powerful as the spirit that lives inside of us and our God who's shining through us. 
So when we think about our world today, I think the first call about loving our enemies is we are not meant to be separate from the world. We are meant, like Jesus prayed in John 17, to be in and not of this world. So what does that look like? I think it looks like us looking through every prism, every decision that we make, not simply for me and mine, but for us. How do we make decisions for us that's for the betterment of all of us? And for those of us in America, especially in this season, I think it means that we need to remind ourselves, Sermon on the Mount over constitutions. Jesus' kingdom over United States of America. Jesus working for God on earth as it is in heaven rather than any Democrat or Republican can give us. I think we need to hear and refocus ourselves, especially in this season. And I'm not talking about some ethereal or intangible third way. I'm talking about following the commands of Christ. And one of the ways we can do that is committing ourselves to actually loving our enemies. Because there is a world out there that's led by the flesh. But Christ has left the spirit and Christ has left you. How are you loving those people around you? Because I think if we're willing to love our enemies, we can take those who maybe earned our hate or we can take those that we think we hate and we can move them from enemies to neighbors. But that's not the end of the story because those people are still made in the image of God. Those people might even be children of God too already. So the goal isn't just to make them your neighbors, but to make them kin, to make them family. Now, when I first started in the Brethren in Christ, one of our longtime members, Doris Kiefer, um, her husband, Luke, had an article that he wrote, I think, over 20 years ago, maybe even 25, 30 years ago almost. And in this article, he talked about one of the things that makes us different as Brethren in Christ is that we need to be people with a difference. We're Anabaptists, but with a difference. We're pietists with a difference. Wesleyan holiness with a difference. I think it's important for all of us to engage this season where we're all quick to know who our enemies are. We're all quick to type to them on the keyboard. Or we're all quick to maybe not say it out loud, but think negatively of them. We're so quick, whether it's people's race, people's citizenship, people's politics. We're so quick to make people the other. I think my prayer for us as a congregation, as a body, as a people, that we can be actual kingdom livers. So, you know, it's not about how you identify politically. You know, if you identify on the left, be on the left with a difference and look like Jesus. If you identify and you're on the right, be on the right but with a difference and look like Jesus. Because what I'm finding is that we're so apt to look like our world we're not looking like our Christ. What I'm finding is that we're so apt to identify with the values of America and its empire than Jesus and his kingdom. And there's one way we can do that. So my one question for you this week is, how are you going to love your enemies? And Jesus starts off with saying, pray for them. Pray for them. Love your enemies not just because Jesus asked you to, but because you will look like our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Yeah. No.
I figure it would be. Under benediction? Yeah. You good, Randy? Oh, okay. Yep. In Matthew 5, Jesus ends the chapter with, again, one of the hardest calls he puts on all of us. But I think what I love about it the most is that Jesus puts this call on us, not because we can't do it, but because he expects us to do it. Because in doing it, we look like him. In looking like him, we glorify our Father in heaven. What a reminder to us that nothing Jesus asks of us, we can't do. And it's not just because, oh, we have the will to do it. No, it's because Jesus has left the spirit that lives inside of you that's transforming you into the image of himself. But it's also because Jesus has left the body around you to help you, to lift you up, to grow you, to sustain you, to pray for you. But lastly, it's because you too can take these steps in loving your enemies and praying for people who persecute you and reminding yourself that my life should be for God's kingdom and not any empire in front of me. Let's pray. Our Father, my God, we thank you so much that Jesus equips us. We thank you so much that he equips us by the life he lived, the words that he preached and commanded us to follow, but he also equips us by leaving behind the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Help us to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Help us to submit to you. Help us to live and work for on earth as it is in heaven and not the kingdom or the empires of this earth. Help us to truly, truly have our eyes focused on Jesus. And Lord, we know this week we focused on loving our enemies. That's just one way we can be different. But Lord, help this difference to be grounded in you. Help it to be empowered by your spirit and help it to bring honor and glory to you. Lord, help us to live for your kingdom come and your will to be done. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you.